0: I think we're about completed. Anybody need a handout? Would you raise your hand if you are without a handout? All right, if you just follow along as I read, I'm going to stick very closely to what is stated here. We begin with, we take great comfort in knowing that God faithfully keeps his word concerning the deliverance of his people. We rejoice in the Lord's committedness to keeping his promises. It should be very sobering to think that God not only keeps his word considering the promises of all good things to come, but God also keeps his word concerning all coming judgment. I, I say that for there is such an emphasis on God's faithfulness to his promises and it is often overlooked concerning God's faithfulness to judgment as well. What God declares is going to come to pass. Uh, You know I've said repeatedly that I'm involved in this study committee on hell, and I'm reading so much of people that strongly affirm the promises of God concerning his deliverance, but are not willing to affirm the areas of which the scriptures speak of God's judgment. So we're going to look at a large section of the word of God that details the fulfillment of the judgment on Ahab and his male descendants that was foretold by the prophet Elijah. If you'll remember, in 1 Kings, Elijah was confronting the people of Israel concerning their worship of Baal. He said that they should no longer vacillate between two opinions. If God was the true God, they should serve him. If Baal is the true God, they should serve Baal. Then God proved himself to be the true God by sending fire from heaven consuming a water-drenched sacrifice. However, Ahab and his wife Jezebel still opposed God and God's prophet Elijah and were seeking to take Elijah's life. Elijah flees to Mount Horeb where God speaks to Elijah. Among other things, God conveys the future judgment that's going to come upon Ahab and Jezebel that will be carried out through Haziel and Jehu. 1 Kings 19.15 and following. And the Lord said to him, this is to Elijah, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, uh, Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. So there is God's judgment. Verse 17, the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. The one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Last week, we saw God at work through Haziel. Today, we see God at work through Jehu. Throughout the narrative is the contrast Constant refrain that the deaths that are taking place at the hands of Jehu are the fulfillment of the judgment that God had declared through Elijah and Elisha. The key verse to this section is 2 Kings 10.10. Know then, there shall fall to the earth nothing of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab, for the Lord has done what he has said by his servant Elijah. We're to learn two important lessons from this narrative. First, the judgment of God will be completely fulfilled. Know then that there shall fall to the earth nothing of the word of the Lord which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab. It's a negative way of saying everything that God says is going to come to pass. Secondly, all that God says will indeed come to pass. For the Lord has done what he said by his servant Elijah. Uh, a large emphasis of this section is God's word to Elijah and Elisha and how that word is fulfilled. So, we're going to go through this entire two chapters emphasizing those two points. So, the theme is God fulfills his word not only regarding blessing but also judgment. Jehu is anointed to be king over Israel according to the word of the Lord. God establishes Jehu as king over Israel, starting at verse 1 of chapter 9. Then Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Tie up your garments and take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth-Gilead. And when you arrive, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi, and go in and have him rise from among his fellows and lead him to an inner chamber. Then take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel and open the door and flee and do not linger. Verse 6, So he arose and went into the house and the young man poured the oil on his head saying to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anoint you king over the people of the Lord over Israel. The, Je- the anointing of Jehu is in keeping with the words spoken to Elijah on Mount Horeb. Remember back in 1 Kings 19, 16. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, ye shall anoint to be king over Israel. Thus, God's plan is being carried out. So now we find out that Jehu is to carry out God's judgment on the descendants of Ahab. Jehu is to kill all those belonging to the household of Ahab. Verse 7. And ye shall dr- strike down the house of Ahab, your master. In so doing... Jehu is the instrument of God's judgment. For it says in verse 7, and you shall strike down the house of Ahab. This isn't what God's going to do. Jehu has to do it. But in Jehu's doing it, it says, so that I may avenge on Jezebel the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord. Again in verse 8, the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab every male. Verse 9, and I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam. So we're to see that Jehu is the instrument of God. This is God's will. This is God's activity. This is God's judgment that is coming upon the house of Ahab. See, all the male descendants of Ahab are to be killed. Verse 8, I'll just read the bold part. And I will cut off from Ahab... Every male, bond or free, in Israel. Jezebel will have a disgraceful end. Jezebel, of course, is Ahab's wife. And I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah. And the dogs shall eat Jezebel in the territory of Jezreel, and none shall bury her.
1: Then he opened the door and fled. Now, we're looking at how this judgment is carried out,
0: and there's section after section of people being slaughtered as a result, result of this judgment. Jehu kills Joram in keeping with God's judgment. King Joram was a son of Ahab. 2 Kings 8, 16, in the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab. I just put that in there to demonstrate that in, indeed he is a son of Ahab. Joram fought against Haziel, the king of Syria. Verse uh, 14 of chapter 9, Thus Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Joram. Now Joram, with all Israel, had been on guard at Ramoth-Gilead against Haziel, king of Syria. Joram, though wounded, had escaped the hand of Haziel. Verse 15, but King Joram had returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds that the Syrians had given him when he fought with Haziel, king of Syria. So in this battle, Haziel becomes wounded, uh, excuse me, Joram becomes wounded having fought against Haziel. Now, number one, remember, God had said to Elijah, that the person who escapes from Haziel, Jehu, shall kill, verse 17 of chapter 9 of 1 Kings. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. I am this morning trying to create the links so that you can see that there's prophecy after prophecy after prophecy that's fulfilled as God carries out this judgment against Ahab and Ahab his descendants. God's word is being completed. So number two, Jehu kills Joram. Starting at verse 16. Then Jehu mounted his chariot and went to Jezreel for Joram lay there. And Ahaziah, king of Judah, had come down to visit Joram. Joram said, Make ready, and they made ready his chariot. Then Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, set out each in his chariot, and went to meet Jehu, and met him at the property of Naboth the Jezreelite. And when Joram saw Jehu, he said, Is it peace, Jehu? He answered, What peace can there be, so long as the whorings and the sorceries of your mother Jezebel are so many? Then Joram reigned about and fled, saying to Ahaziah, tree, O Ahaziah, and Jehu drew his bow with his full strength and shot Joram between the shoulders so that the arrow pierced his heart and he sank in his chariot. So he dies. Now Jehu fulfills an additional prophecy of Elisha by depositing the body of Joram in the vineyard previously belonging to Naboth, which Ahab had stolen. 2 Kings 9.25, Jehu said to Bidkar, his aide, take him up, he's referring to Joram, take him up and throw him on the plot of ground belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. For remember, when you and I rode side by side behind Ahab, his father, how the Lord made this pronouncement against him, as surely as I saw yesterday, the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons declares the Lord, I will repay you on this plot of ground. So remember, and uh, I, I miswrote uh, there. A that should be Elijah, not Elisha. And so, if you remember back in 1 Kings, Ahab and Jezebel conspired because. Naboth had owned a vineyard that was next to the property of Ahab, and Ahab wanted that vineyard. And Ahab had Naboth killed, and then we find out that he had all the sons of Naboth killed as well because they would have inherited the vineyard after the father's death. So he wipes out those that would have claimed to the vineyard in order that King Ahab could take control of that vineyard. God had said that there was going to be a judgment and that there would be blood from Ahab's lineage that would be poured out on that vineyard that was stolen from Naboth. So B, then the text draws our attention once again that all of this is just as God had said, verse 26, as surely as I saw yesterday, the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons declares the Lord, I will repay you on this plot of ground. Now, therefore, take him up and throw him on the plot of ground in accordance with the word of the Lord. This is the refrain constantly that we are seeing God's word played out in all these narratives. Therefore, two prophecies of God's judgment is fulfilled in the death of Joram. The first being that the descendants that escape Hazel Jehu shall kill. The second is that Naboth's death and the death of Naboth's sons at the hands of Ahab will be avenged on the land that was taken from them. Number four, Jehu brings God's judgment against the wife of Ahab by killing Jezebel in fulfillment of God's word. Jehu has Jezebel killed in 2 Kings 9, 30 to 33. When Jehu came to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she painted her eyes and adorned her head and looked out the window. As Jehu entered the gate, she said, Is it peace, you Zimri, murderer of your master? He lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? Two or three eunuchs looked out at him. He said, throw her down. So they threw her down, and some of her blood spattered on the wall and on the horses, and they trampled on her. So Jezebel dies. And then Jezebel is eaten by dogs in fulfillment of God's word. Verse 34. Then he went in and ate and drank, and he said, see now to this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. But when they went out to bury her, They found no more of her than the skull and the feet in the palm of her hands. Once again, the text draws our attention that this is a fulfillment of what God had said previously through Elijah, verse 36. When they came back and told him, he said, this is the word of the Lord which he spoke by his servant, Elijah the Tishbite. Number two, the dogs ate Jezebel in the land of uh, Jezreel, as Elijah had pronounced in 1 Kings 21-23. 1 Kings 21-23, And of Jezebel the Lord also said, The dogs shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. So we see that these prophecies, these judgments that God had pronounced, are taking place. The same prophecy is repeated in 2 Kings 9.10. And the dog shall eat Jezebel in the territory of Jezreel.
1: Fulfilled in 2 Kings 9.36. And then number three, the body of Jezebel was not buried as was stated by Elisha
0: through his messenger. 2 Kings chapter 9 verse 10 it says, and the dog shall eat Jezebel in the territory of Jezreel and then and none shall bury her. Jehu had intended to bury Jezebel, but there was nothing left to bury, verses 35 through 37. When they went out to bury her, they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. When they came back and told him, he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by a servant Elijah the Tishpite, in the ter- territory of Jezreel, the dog shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be as dung on the face of the field in the territory of Jezreel, so that no one can say, this is Jezebel. So there's no burial plot, there's no place to go to visit, all in keeping with God's word. Time and time again, we're seeing that God said and it came to pass. Number 5. Jehu kills all 70 sons of Ahab in Jez- Jezreel in fulfilling God's judgment. Then Kings 10:1. Now Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria So Jehu wrote letters and sent them to Samaria, to the rulers of the city, to the elders and to the guardians of the sons of Ahab, saying, Now then, as soon as this letter comes to you, seeing your master's sons are with you, and there are with you chariots and horses, fortified cities also, and weapons, select the best and fittest of your master's sons, and set them on his father's throne, and fight for your master's house. But they were exceedingly afraid, and said, Behold, The two kings could not stand before him. How then can we stand? So he who was over the palace and he who was over the city, together with the elders of the guardians, sent to Jehu, saying, we are your servants, and we will do as you tell us. We will not make anyone king. Do whatever
1: is good in your eyes. Then he wrote to them a second letter
0: saying, if you're on my side and if you are ready to obey me, take the hands of your master's sons and come to me to Jezreel tomorrow at this time. Now the king's sons, 70 persons, three times it's going to mention the number 70 or it's inclusive of all of his sons that were at Jezreel. Verse 7. And as soon as they came to them, they took the king's sons and slaughtered them, 70 persons, and put their heads in baskets and sent them to him at Jezreel. When the messenger came and told him they have brought the heads of the king's sons, he said, lay them in two heaps at the entrance of the gate until the morning. Then in the morning when he went out, he stood and said to all the people, you are innocent. It was I who conspired against my master and killed them. But who struck down all these? The lesson that is to be learned according to the text is that all of God's word will be fulfilled. 2 Kings 10.10. Know then. You see, that's the conclusion and it's the application that the scripture itself makes. Know then. It's not a part of the narrative. It's a part of the application. The story has been told. This is what we're to learn from it. Verse 10. Know then that there shall fall to the earth nothing Of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab. For the Lord has done what he said by his servant Elijah. We need to learn that what God says, he will do, not only in his promises for blessing, but also in regard to judgment. All that was stated was fulfilled. God's judgment was complete. Verse 11. So Jehu struck down all who remained of the house of Ahab and Jezreel, all his great men and his close friends and his priests, until he left none remaining. There was no one left, just as God had said it would be.
1: Moving on. Chapter
0: 10. Jehu kills the relatives of Ahaziah, who was the son of Ahab, on Jehu's way to Samaria. Verse 12 of chapter 10. Then he, that is Jehu, sent out and went to Samaria. On the way, when he was at Beth el the of the shepherds, Jehu met the relatives of Ahaziah, king of Judah. And he said, Who are you? And they answered, We are the relatives of Ahaziah, And we came down to visit the royal princess and the sons of the queen of mother. Now, just to give you reference, 1 Kings Kings 22, 51 says, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel. So we're talking about, again, the descendants of Ahab. Verse 22, He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel to sin. He served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger in every way that his father had done. Now notice, if you will, that that is taken from 1 Kings chapter 22 and following. I put that in there because I wanted at this point to stress because we're looking at all of the destruction of all these descendants and you can begin to scratch your head and wonder about the justice of God and why are the sons being killed
1: for what Ahab and Jezebel had done. It's important to keep in mind that all of
0: these descendants are themselves wicked and are worthy of death on their own stand, all right? They are worshipers of Baal, etc. When you get to Second Kings chapter 14, verse 6, it says this, but he did not put to death the children of the murderers according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses where the law commanded, fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers, but each one will die for his own sin. That is consistent with what's taking place here. All of these individuals are worthy of death for their own unrighteousness and their own sinfulness. Here we learn how sin spreads and how the... Spiritual bankruptcy of a leader like the king of Ahab, the influence that that has upon his children and his grandchildren is incredible. And so as we pause and and we think about this whole process, just keep in mind that our lives influence our children and our grandchildren and our future descendants either for good or for bad. And in this instance, Ahab and Jezebel are so wicked and so opposed to the things of God that it's little wonder that their descendants follow in their train. So what's taking place is not inconsistent with what the Word of God says concerning people being judged for their own sin and not just the sin of the parents. Well, back to our text in 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 14. I'm on page 9, uh, letter A. All were killed. He said, take them alive. And they took them alive and slaughtered them at the pit of beth uh, Beth 42 persons. And he spared none of them. The emphasis is that no one escaped God's judgment. Again, he spared none of them. Now, Jehu kills all those who are descendants of Ahab in Samaria. Why I wanted to take this whole passage together, there are many reasons. One, I didn't want to just be speaking about all these deaths for four weeks. But another reason is to show that it's talking about different locations. He is killing everyone in a certain area, then he goes to another area. We were in Jezreel. Now we move to uh, Samaria. Wherever there are descendants of Ahab, that's where Jehu is going. And so he's wiping out in each territory, each area, the descendants of Ahab. So when you see it saying, and there was none left, and you come back and you see some more, you say, well, what does that, what does that mean? Well, there was none left in that area, so he goes to the next area, and there'll be none left, and he goes to the next area, etc. So now we move to Samaria. Second Kings chapter 10, verse 15. And when he departed from there, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he greeted him and said to him, Is your heart true to my heart as mine is to yours? Jehonadab answered, It is, Jehu. Uh, And Jehu said, It is. Give me your hand. So he gave him his hand, and Jehu took him up with him into the chariot. Jehu seeks all that he is doing as carrying out God's judgment. 2 Kings 10 16, and he said, Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So he had him ride in his chariot. Again, the stress is that the destruction of the judgment was total or complete. Verse 17, and when he came down to Samaria, he struck down all who remained to
1: Ahab in Samaria. What we are to glean is that
0: God's judgment is extensive. There are so many today that would claim that God would never, ever, because he's such a loving God, commend so many people to judgment. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but in the book of Peter... It says, this they are willingly ignorant of, and it refers to the flood and how God destroyed people in the flood. Much more numerous than what we are reading in this text. The point is there's no safety in numbers.
1: There's no safety in numbers. As Christians, we are in the minority
0: around the world, and we will always be In the minority, for the scripture says that broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life everlasting, and there be few that find it. God's people are always referred to as a remnant. So this morning, there is no soulless, if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, to say,
1: well, there are a lot of us who don't believe. Doesn't matter. God does not judge on a curve. God
0: does not take in account the numbers on various sides. God's judgment is true and complete. See, again, bottom page nine, we are minded that all of this is in keeping with God's word to Elijah. Verse 17, And when he came to Samaria, he struck down all who remained in Ahab in Samaria till he had wiped them out according to the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elijah. We are to see that Jehu is not just this, this hideous individual that is running amok, but God is behind this. God is accomplishing what? He said he would do. But if we did not have the word of God, you know, if you were just alive that day and experiencing all of this, it might be easy to miss that this is God's judgment and ascribe it just to human life and, and the dictates of a rebellious individual point is, in this text, we are to see the invisible hand of God at work, not just in the Old Testament, but today. God is behind the activities of this world. God raises up leaders and removes leaders. God's purpose, God's will, God's judgments are being carried out. And now, we can't look with the same kind of definitiveness and start ascribing to the events of today and and saying what God is doing. For we have no particular portion of Scripture that we can look to that can assign it, and it's very dangerous to try to do that. But what I am saying to you is, we can have
1: confidence. We have confidence that all of God's promises are going to be fulfilled, and all of
0: God's judgments are going to be fulfilled as well. Now we move
1: into a different category. Jehu slays all those who were followers of Baal. Verse 18 of chapter 10. Then
0: Jehu assembled all the people and said to them Ahab served Baal a little, but Jehu will serve him much. Now therefore, call to me all the prophets of Baal, all his worshipers, and all his priests. Let none be missing. For I have a great sacrifice to offer to Baal whoever is missing shall not live but Jehu did not did it with cunning in order to destroy the worshippers of Baal and Jehu ordered sanctify a solemn assembly for Baal so they proclaimed it and Jehu sent throughout all Israel and all the worshippers of Baal came so there was not a man left who did not come and they entered the house of Baal and the house of Baal was filled from one end to the other He said to them who were in charge of his wardrobe, Bring out the vestments for all the worshipers of Baal. So he brought out all the vestments for them. Then Jehu went into the house of Baal with Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, and he said to the worshipers of Baal, Search and see that there is no servant of the Lord here among you, but only the worshipers of Baal. Again, let me take a moment and say that, you know, as we look at this passage, we we see a lot that, that you know, unnerves us, we see deceit, we see lying. But we are to understand that not every event is exactly the way that God would have Him carry out. God didn't tell Him to do this this way, but these individuals are to be judged. All right. So the outcome is exactly what God has declared and what God desires. But you know, some of this Jehu is doing of his own initiative, and some of it uh, is uh, suspect. So as we look at this text, he calls everybody to worship, and he tells all the worshipers of Baal to put on a, a distinctive garment so that they can easily be distinguished between those who are not worshipers of Baal. Verse 24, Then they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had stoned, uh, stationed 80 men outside and said, The men who allows uh, any of those whom I give into your hands to escape shall forfeit his life. So as soon as he had made an end of offering of the burnt offerings, Jehu said to the guard and the officers, Go in and strike them down. Let not a man escape. So they then put them to the sword. The guard and the officers cast them out and went into the inner room of the house of Baal. And they brought out the pillar that was in the house of Baal and burned it. And they demolished the pillar of Baal and demolished the house of Baal and made it a latrine to this day. Verse 28. Thus Jehu wiped out Baal from Israel. We have a purging of this false worship. Hey.
1: In all of this, there were lessons that Jehu failed to learn. Verse 29. But Jehu did not turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam
0: the son of Nabat, which he made Israel to sin, that is the golden calves they're in Bethel and in Dan. He wiped out the worship of Baal but there's still false worship in Israel. There are still worshiping idols at two different locations that have been set up and they were set up by Jeroboam when he became king over Israel so that the children of Israel would not go back to Jerusalem to worship. He set up this, this false worship. It is continuing on So Jehu is by no means perfect. Once again, we are reminded that God's judgment on the house of Ahab was fulfilled in accordance with God's will. Verse 30, And the Lord said to Jehu, Because you have done well in carrying out what is right in my eyes and have done to the house of Ahab according to all that was in my heart, see, well, let me finish. Your sons of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. C, but as God was patient in dealing with Ahab, so too God is patient in dealing with Jehu. For It tells us at the end of verse 30, your sons of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. D, still Jehu is unrepentant concerning his own sinfulness. Verse 31, but Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not turn from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel to sin. So now we find out that God uses an imperfect individual to carry out his judgment against Israel. And as you read the prophets, time and time again, they wonder, they, they're amazed because they see people that are more wicked than they are that God is using to bring judgment against the nation of Israel. Syria being one of them and the nation of Syria so, so we find out that even the wicked are being
1: used of God to accomplish his purpose but the wicked are still wicked moving on E, God continues to discipline Jehu
0: and the inhabitants of Israel for their false worship. Verse 32, in those days, the Lord began to cut off parts of Israel. Aziel defeated them throughout the territory of Israel. So now there's going to be battle after battle. Remember, there's a promise for four generations that they're not going to lose the kingdom. By God's grace. And in that time period, Israel is going to continue to decline because they are continuing in their false worship of God. They don't repent. They don't come back to him. They don't learn about the lessons of God's judgment. You see the irony of Jehu, who is carrying out all the judgment of God, and yet he fails to see in his own life he fails to see in his own life the faults that are worthy of judgment. And you see, that is so often the case with mankind. It is easy to see the fault in others that we fail to see in ourselves. It's easy to pronounce judgment on other people when we have done things that are worthy of judgment. So, Romans chapter 2 says, Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for who the Judges does the same thing. You know, it's easy for us to point our fingers
1: at people who are doing wrong and fail to recognize that we are doing wrong. Fail to realize that, that we are not pleasing God.
0: F, God's word continues to be fulfilled. Jehu's sons takes over after Jehu's death. Uh, just look at the bold part, verse 35. And Jeho- Jehoahaz, the son, reigned in his place.
1: So, conclusion. Conclusion. What do we to take away from this section? Well, first, God will completely
0: fulfill all future judgment, just as he has past judgments. Yeah, we're to learn from passages such as this, the reality of of God's judgment. And I don't have time this morning now to go into the New Testament and talk about the judgment that is yet to come. But the reality is that there is a future judgment. Jesus Christ is coming back. And when he does, he is going to judge the world. And everyone is going to stand before him. In Peter, it says, in the last days there will be mockers that will say,
1: where is this coming? Where is this coming? Why hasn't Christ returned yet if he's coming? Well,
0: the answer that's given in the text is because he's not willing that any should perish. What about the elect? God is going to return when every last person that's to be saved is saved.
1: We should not think that just because judgment is slow in coming that it won't come. Jehu is king for twenty-eight years. Aziel is king before him
0: in Syria. Judgment is carrying out. Soul. Judgment's going to be carried out in all during the four sons of Jehu and continuing on Israel before they eventually are made captive. God's judgment is slow because God is gracious.
1: God is patient and God is kind. But it will be fulfilled. So the message is repent. Repent. You see, the amazing element in this whole section is that none of these individuals cry out to God. None of them forsake their false worship of God or of Baal.
0: You would think that in seeing the hand of God as it is coming out, as as you would see the progression that's taking place of your brothers in other areas of the kingdom being destroyed, that you would say to yourself, it's heading my way. I, I ought to repent, uh, you know, we, we know what Elijah said, we know what Elisha says,
1: but they fail to repent. They fail to repent. They, they fail to repent. And so the greatest application
0: for you this morning, I think, is that if there is anyone here this morning that has never ever placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ know that judgment is real. Know that God is patient and long-suffering, but
1: judgment will come. It is inescapable. God does not judge on the basis of a curve. All those who
0: believe and trust in Jesus will be saved. Those who haven't trusted in the Lord Jesus, will not be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So the question for us this morning is, where will we stand when it comes to the judgment? Will we be acceptable because of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are we going to be unacceptable because of our own sinfulness? Because of our own false worship? Because of our own rebellion? Where will we stand? What will we experience? And once again, I implore you to put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus for all that he
1: says, not only about heaven, but also all that he says about hell is going to come to pass. It will be fulfilled. So, escape the judgment
0: of God by believing in the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Almighty God, we ask for your grace and your mercy this morning. And again, we plead with any here today who have never trusted in Jesus as their Savior, may today be the day that they ask for that forgiveness, knowing that there is a judgment to come, knowing that you are going to fulfill your word. I pray, Lord, for your working in the lives of individuals. And again, if there's anyone here this morning who has never accepted Jesus as their Savior, I invite you at this moment to Ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and place your faith and trust in him for your salvation. If that is your desire this morning, would you please raise your hand so I can acknowledge that, that that I can uh, not single you out, but pray for you. Anyone here, would you quickly raise your hand, good and high, so I can see it if you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Our Father, we thank you for the warnings that you give us how you prophesy, how you instruct us, how you teach us, how Elijah spoke of coming judgment, how Elisha spoke of coming judgment, and how opposed people were, how hated Elijah and Elisha were by those that scoffed at that coming judgment, how they in turn sought to take the life of Elijah and the life of Elisha. O oh Lord, I, I pray that we would take seriously the, the warnings of God's judgment and not raise our fist to them, not be rebellious against them, but Lord, be grateful that you have warned us ahead of time. You have taught us the way of salvation. You have showed us the truth of how we can escape judgment by placing our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus We thank you, Lord, for your mercy. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your declaration.
1: For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.